Heavens to Murgatroyd! Saturday morning cartoons were awesome. From the 1960s through the 1990s, we kicked off each weekend in a frenzy of animation that is unmatched today. But were these shows actually any good? Join us as we dig into the history of your favorite and not-so-favorite Saturday morning cartoons, look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of each one, and determine if our nostalgia matches the reality when it comes to these tunes. So stay in your PJs, grab a bowl of cereal, and settle in. I'm John. And I'm Robert. And this is Toon Talk. So, John. Yeah. You know, we're both sports fans. We both love athletics and, yeah, we, we yeah, into our teams. But I think one of the big appeals nationwide, I mean, worldwide, globally with sports is the the way that events and moments can, like, bring people together or they just trigger those memories that everybody remembers. You think about Christian Leitner hitting the, the game winner against uh, Kentucky in the, in the Final Four. And remember that because I lost money on that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and yeah, everybody has a different reason for remembering these things. Right. Henry Aaron and breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. You've got Absolutely. the Miracle on Ice. And then Believe in Miracles, yeah. When Dastardly Dalton went sailing over the finish line in the swim relay to Who can forget the that? first victory for the, the really rottens ever in the Laugh Olympics. I mean, seminal moments all, but we remember these things. Do you remember where you were when? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was sitting on the carpet in my living room floor with a bowl of Fruit Loops. Uh, staring at the TV screen, raptured that Dastardly <laughs> was actually going to win. Shocked, shocked, I tell you. Yeah, shock and awe, yeah. for sure. <laughs> so we're talking about the storied history of the Laugh Olympics. And the Laugh Olympics were kind of a spinoff of the Battle of the Network Stars, which back in the 70s and 80s, we, you had three channels, right? And when Battle of the Network Stars was on, it was an event that you looked forward to for weeks. Um, so when they made this cartoon version, Laugh Olympics, it was also, it had that that appeal to it, that this is a big deal. This is something exciting and new. Is the idea of seeing like your favorite, well, in this case, characters, but favorite actors in, in roles outside of what you normally see them in. So it was just yeah, of... and you get to see them as people and not as that character. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to see the, your cartoon and you expect them to act a certain way, but now they're pole vaulting, which, which just kind of makes it interesting. <laughs> Yeah, the, so the Battle of the Network stars, the, you know, eight to 10 actors from different networks um, formed teams and competed in basically Olympic events, um, you know, swimming, kayaking, running, tug of war. You know, when you see Mr. Cotter run the 400, you know, who can who can look away from that? <laughs> well, you think of the um, 70s outfits, too, with the short shorts and the. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They had the Larry Bird shorts on yeah. and the tall socks and everything. And the cartoon version in the Laugh Olympics by Hanna-Barbera. They had 45 characters, not just three teams. So, so that format was similar, made up of protagonists from the various shows over the last 20 years of cartoons and a third team of villainous foils, the bad guys. And some of them they even created for the show because they didn't have enough bad guys. You know, on Scooby-Doo, for example, there was a different bad guy every show, usually the amusement park manager, but it was someone different every time. Well, and then they were all hauled so away by the police and they weren't coming back. So 
Yeah, they were in jail because those meddling kids put them away. Um, so so they created some characters for this. And then all of our favorite characters that you wanted to see and you wanted to see succeed and you wanted to see them beat the bad guys. Uh, and the show ran for two seasons from 1977 to 1978. Technically, it was 79 because that second season, we, you know, the, the animation schedule ran 78 to 79. But all the new episodes from that season all had debuted by the end of December of that of 78. Okay, yeah. And still being enjoyed on YouTube and other places and at your local library. That first season consisted of 16 episodes and the second featured eight. So there's a total of 24 episodes of cutthroat competition. Yeah, did they run out of ideas? Why? I wonder why the second season was half as long as the first. Well, I think after the end of it, and you realize they've, they've traveled the globe, there's really nowhere they hadn't, you know, significance that they hadn't gone. It, it feels like it kind of ran its course after 24 sure. episodes and, you know. Yeah. Well, that is the kind of the neat thing, too, about animation is there's no location fees, right? So if you want to have the competition in Rome, you can have it in Rome. And if you want to have it on the moon, you can have it on the moon, which kind of kept it fresh and interesting because they also kind of based some of the events on the locale um, and touched on some of the culture of where they were. Not always good, not always bad, but uh, but pointed, you know, gave a little nod to the culture of where they were. Yeah, it always kind of fit fit the locale, which was which was kind of a neat neat touch to it. So yeah, the the Laugh Olympics was part of a two hour animation block that debuted in 1977. It was called Scooby's All Star Laugh Olympics, and it and it included Laugh Olympics, the Scooby Doo Show, Blue Falcon and Dynamut, Captain at Caveman, and the Teen Angels. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to call him Captain America at least twice, probably as we talk. I just can't <laughs> help myself. You know, I can't, I can't say that character's name without saying it like he says it. You know, in my <laughs> head, I always hear Captain Caveman. Yeah, I don't think my voice could do that very much. So <laughs> do that gravelly uh, call. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the last segment of it was Scooby Doo, Where Are You, which is just reruns of that the classic show. They did a second season. They repackaged it. So instead of two hours, they, they trimmed it down to a svelte 90 minutes. And of course, to fit that time frame, they had to, they cut out the Blue Falcon and Dynamut segments. And also they got rid of the Scooby-Doo Where Are You reruns, put it under a new name of Scooby's All-Stars. So slightly new looks, slightly revamped, but overall the pretty much the same, the same setup. You know, in a, a 90 minute block back then was a lot that was a big chunk of the schedule yeah well and we're because also you know your saturday morning cartoons yeah you could watch all morning until your mom kicked you out of the house right <laughs> you can't sit in front of tv forever to melt your brain you know so but so 90 minutes sometimes it felt like it was half the morning was yeah. this scooby-doo block yeah it was like a day of animation like all all packed in but i mean and we're looking at 1977 i mean this is like the zenith of hanna barbera's domination of saturday mornings at this point they were between 70 to 80 percent of all content on saturday mornings was produced out of the hanna barbera studios so they were they were churning it out that's um, crazy and uh yeah so that was yeah through the 70s most of the 70s that was that was hanna barbera's you know maiden time and then once the 80s hit you know at some point we'll get to that but uh yeah that's when the the decline hit but yeah this is this is them at their at their peak yeah very cool yeah absolutely so the majority of the characters from both the scooby doobies and the yogi yahooies the two protagonist teams they were already established in previous cartoons as as you said earlier over the previous 20 years so you had the yogi Yahoo yeah we knew who they were already exactly and that was yeah, kind of, yeah that we, was... we had good relationship with these people already 
and it was that was the appeal of them right it was like oh I, right. and they're all together that's so cool but yeah the yogi yahoos were primarily the characters from what we would consider Hanna barbera's golden age from like the late 50s through the 60s they actually mostly the 50s um you know obviously yogi bear boo boo bear cindy bear yaki doodle they were all from the yogi bear cartoon Huckleberry Hound had his own show, and that included Pixie Dixie and Mr. Jinx, and also Hokey Wolf. And then there's a Quick Draw McGraw show, which included Snooper and Blabber, and then Augie Doggy and Daddy Doggy, all members of the, the Scoobies. And then that team was rounded up by Wally Gator, and then Grape Ape, the, the great Grape Ape. So Grape Ape is interesting, this is the only character from post-1962. So those really? are all 50s and 60s characters, and then there's this big purple gorilla <laughs> who can only say grape ape <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into how he was kind of underused <laughs> yes yeah criminally underused i mean you've got a 20-foot gorilla on your team it's going to be hard to lose uh, some of these events but you got to put him in the game <laughs> yeah so then the other the other protagonists would be the scooby doobies captained by scooby-doo and then shaggy you had Speed Buggy and Tinker from the Speed Buggy show, Dynamut and Blue Falcon, Babu from the Genie show, which was a animated take on I Dream of Genie, the Hong Kong Fooey from the Hong Kong Fooey show, and then Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels, consisting of Taffy Chance, Dee Dee Sykes, and Brenda Dare. So interesting enough, this was Captain Caveman's debut from you know, this, this animation block. So he debuted in the Laugh Olympics and then had his cartoon show up right after that. Yeah, so you wonder, was he part of Laugh Olympics and then got his own show, or was the intent to have his own show but put him on Laugh Olympics to get him a little more exposure? Well, it's funny because he was not supposed to be part of Laugh Olympics originally. That was uh, the debut for that. They they put out some drawings and and cells, and they included members from Josie and the Pussycats, a previous another uh, Hanna Barbera creation, but because they were owned by Archie Comics. They had copyright yeah. issues. And so the four characters that they want to include, which are Melody, Alexander, Alexandra, and Sebastian the Cat from, and they had two, they actually had two cartoons. There's Josie and the Pussycats and then Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space, which is logical transition, right? <laughs> sure. But well, so it's the beginning got, of the space age. <laughs> so since they couldn't get those characters, yeah, I don't, I, you know, they naturally had these other characters, you have four, you have three teenage girls and, yeah, you know, a hairball with a, a caveman. Cave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, at the ready to to take their place. So yes, yeah, and, and he carried a club. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly enough, the they had one other team member who was supposed to be there, and that was Genie, who would have been from the, the Genie cartoon. Again, copyright issues this time with Columbia Pictures Television. They couldn't get her usage, so they they could still use Babu because he was created by Hanna Barbera for the Genie cartoon. So mm -hmm. yeah, for better or worse, he was he was part of the show, but no Genie. So yeah, and I remember wondering why when you know when you're a little kid, you don't know about contracts and all this stuff, and thank goodness, right? But I keep I remember where is Genie? Why isn't she here? Because she could just blink and nod her head, and they would win a lot. <laughs> a competent no. magician as opposed a competent. to so we get babu who's kind of a clown you know? yeah. he doesn't really get things he doesn't uh things don't always go his way yeah he kind of lucks into his magic working here and there so right but yeah it works he's in not, spite of him yeah and but yet he's not the worst uh, magic user on the show so which is amazing <laughs> yes <laughs> which uh which brings me to the really rotten so 
it's funny they actually intended to uh use dick dastardly and muttley from the, the wacky races as the the main members of this team again copyright issues this time with heater quigley production so dick dastardly and muttley were both members of the wacky races they because they were co-owned hanna-barbera did not think they had the rights to use them so some of my research it's not clear that they may have actually had the rights to use them they just weren't sure and probably were so beaten down after trying to get the other ones and couldn't get them they just right. said, let's just move forward so yeah, we'll just make a look-alike yeah, which they did so well and they already had a look-like interestingly enough for for muttley they had a character named mumbly so looked identical they wore slightly different yeah, outfits they're slightly Trench different coat. colored and yeah. that was pretty much the difference but yeah that's all they had to do yeah but, but interestingly enough so mumbly was a protagonist in his own show the mumbly show and he was a detective solve crimes sure and they actually had to do a little heel turn make him go bad so he could uh head up the bad the bad guys and <laughs> <laughs> right and you'd think, you know, as a former detective, he'd be better at cheating. You know, he'd know how to cover up his tracks. I also wonder what would make a detective go bad? You know, is, is it the classic detective story where he's alienated his family because he gets so involved in the cases and he started drinking and, you know, he's like, oh, I can't handle this anymore. I'm leaving the force. I'm going to be a bad guy now. <laughs> Didn't pay. I would love to see the whole backstory on, on Mumbly. It's a, it's hard work being a private eye. It's easier to just be a crook, I guess. Yeah. So they had the team of obviously no Dick Dastardly. So they created a Dick Dastardly lookalike and that's in the Dread Baron. Again, looks just like him, sounds just like him, is not him, but not him. He's, he's essentially Dick Dastardly. Uh, yes. They're not fooling anybody. No. Except for the lawyers. <laughs> yeah. And so obviously Muttley was pre-existed. The only other characters from the Rottens who pre-existed in a way, were the Dalton brothers. So you had Dinky, who is a pituitary gland gone crazy. Yeah, and then, huge. Yeah. And then his two, as he calls them, the little brothers, um, <laughs> dirty, dirty and dastardly, who literally can fit in the palm of his hand. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're they're like hillbillies, right? Kind of, yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of a weird cross between a hillbilly and an old west bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, they're kind of like this nebulous yeah. a little bit of a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, just not good people. Right. <laughs> really rotten. <laughs> really rotten. But uh yeah, so they actually appeared in Huckleberry Hound cartoons. Yeah, I think two cartoons from Huckleberry Hound originally looked vastly different. They looked more like the standard human characters from that period of Hanna-Barbera. And then just kind of disappeared. They came back for, I believe, one of the Quick Draw McGraw shows. Obviously, Quick Draw McGraw being a, a cowboy horse. Yep. You had to give him like an old West, you know, foils to go against. So the Dalton brothers had an existence. They just basically gave them a, a complete overhaul in terms of their look. Yeah, this is the old West version of the dinky, dinky gang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they slightly more exaggerated size and style, but... Well, yeah, because well, they're standing next to a, ho a bipedal horse. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be big if your nemesis is a horse. <laughs> you make it sound like that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what makes cartoons so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I always wondered how Quick Draw Magar was holding those guns with his hooves. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like Scooby-Doo who had, you know. Yeah. 
walks around if it's he have opposable opposable thumbs on his paws but right the, the magic, magic of animation yeah <laughs> but everyone else so, so then they oh, go they ahead. had to create some people for this right because they didn't have enough they didn't have enough bad guys so they had to create some kind of they they did create a couple that were brand new um that was the the great fondue who was as we the, the aforementioned worse magician than uh than babu and yeah and i would say he's worse than the magician from the frosty the snowman cartoon yeah yeah he's he's awful yeah he's really really bad yeah he he succeeds most when he pretends to use magic but yeah, exactly um yeah and sometimes most of the time his magic works it just doesn't work the way he intends but so yeah he, he kind of yeah. sucks and then he has his it's rabbit. like the magic had its own own moral compass <laughs> No, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this instead. <laughs> well, and then they partnered him up with a rabbit who is the creatively yeah. named Magic Rabbit. And oh, I love that. And he had one, <laughs> one line of dialogue throughout the series, and that was Brack. You used to <laughs> and, comedic effects throughout. So it was just, and he took the whole, the whole scene with that. Yeah, it was a close-up of his head saying Brack. Yeah, <laughs> and he filled the screen as Brack. <laughs> So, yeah, interesting. And then they also created Daisy Mayhem. And so she was a, a hillbilly wearing her cutoff shorts and her split end hair and just a whole lot of no attitude. shoes, no shoes, whole lot of attitude. Yeah, Yet, no shoes. But she had an eye patch wearing pig named Suey who did wear tennis shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we need a sidekick for the hillbilly bad girl. Um, let's give her a pig. With one eye. <laughs> well, how do we make sure that he's? How do we make sure that he's rotten? Give him an eye patch. Give, give him a give him a handicapped. Everybody yeah. will know he's at. He's evil then, right? He's the bad guy because something went down where he lost an eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and of course, then she she won't wear shoes, but she's thoughtful enough to put them on her pig. So. Yeah, you know he's got to wear the shoes. <laughs> he's got to wear. If I'm not wearing the shoes, he'll wear them. Now. So there were four other characters who filled out the, the Rotten's roster, and those were the Creepleys. Mr. Yeah. Creepley, Mrs. Creepley, Junior Creepley, yeah, because I couldn't really give them real first names, and then Orphal Octopus. So they're all from the same, they're all, it's a family, right? A family of four. Correct. They're all related. It's like a family of but three, did, and I assume their pet. The octopus is their pet, yeah. Yeah. So where did they come from? So they were somewhat new. They were actually modeled after a pre-existing family, the Gruesomes, who were who debuted in the Flintstone cartoons. They actually showed up for a handful of cartoons in the Flintstones series as their neighbors. So just weird and quirky, very much in the Adams family type of look. So just kind of, you know, bad, you know, evil, slightly looking, but not really evil. Yeah, just really strange. Yeah. So so now you've got a family called the Creepleys based on a family named the Gruesomes that's based on the family called the Adams. <laughs> right? So you got the Adams family who kind of become the Gruesomes, who kind of become the Creepleys to yeah, get to this Laugh Olympics. And I love the this is quick side note too that the the Flintstones also had another set of neighbors called the Frankenstones later on who are also very monstrous, but this time Munster-esque look in, with the, the Frankenstein father and the uh, Bride of Frankenstein mother, 
apparently that either their neighborhood or just the house next door was just really appealing to that lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> it, it comes with a dungeon. <laughs> it's the only house on the market with a dungeon. So those are the three teams. And then, of course, there's, there's a few more characters that we'll, we'll touch on, too. There's the color commentary provided through the show by Snagglepuss, the pink lion who pretty much everybody knows. He actually, he, again, had his own segment in the Yogi Bear show. But everybody knows, like, heavens to Murgatroyd, exit stage left. Philosophizing, even. (laughs) And actually, I hope we get to his show because his cartoons actually are pretty funny. Uh, Yes. He reminds me of Charles Nelson Riley. So Snagglepuss, to me, was always Charles Nelson Riley. Kind of had that attitude, like everything is wonderful and awesome and even if it's something's going terribly wrong he's still enjoying it because <laughs> he's just loving life <laughs> well you talk about those kind of you know, those 70s game show staples like charles nelson riley so the other colored commentator was milda wolf who is a more obscure character so he showed up in this um, short-lived show called the catanooga cats which was kind of like, if you, if you can remember the banana splits type of, you know, they had live action segments and then they put in cartoons to go with it. The mm-hmm. Catanooga Cats was yeah. supposed to be like that. So they had these four kind of hillbilly music playing cats and then they would have like short little, you know, snip, snippets and then they'd cut to individual cartoons. One of which was uh, a Milda Wolf cartoon. And Milda Wolf was just a, I'm going to catch that, that sheep and eat it. Yeah, <laughs> never succeeded because then he'd run afoul of a of a sheepdog and that would be the end of it. But yeah, there's like the classic um, cat and mouse thing and the mouse always outsmarts the cat. Yeah, but to tie him to the game shows. Was, so he was voiced uncredited by Paul Lind, who was another uh, another staple from those game shows. He was, yeah, very distinct voice. And so when they brought him into the Laugh Olympics, I would see John Stevenson was the the actor who portrayed him did his best Pauline imitation so it's yeah very similar so it, yeah uh, the voices and, and when I first heard it I'm like what did they get Paul Lynn to do this show they did yeah. not they just did someone previously, who could sound just, like yeah in 1969 they got him there for the uh, the Catanooga Cats but not for uh not for the Laugh Olympics it's so interesting that they you know couldn't use certain characters but imitating someone's voice was okay <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we can't afford Lind. We'll just get somebody who sounds like Lind. <laughs> Nobody. And of course, they did that a lot with uh, some of the Scooby-Doo's. You'd suddenly hear a uh, some random actor voice trying to like it'd be uh, Peter Lorre from those old, you know, crime noir movies. Yeah. And then in terms of the final set of characters, there were some guest appearances. We mentioned the Flintstones before. Fred and Barney Rubble show up for a couple. They just show up and give their commentary and they don't really add anything they're just there it's like yeah they don't compete they they just show up kind of like a ultimate cameo you know they're so much better than everyone else (laughs) they just show up and like say what they need to say and then they're out (laughs) then you also had uh, peter potamus who actually had his own show through heine barbera in the 1950s kind of short-lived but uh purple hippopotamus who flew float around in a a hot air balloon yeah and why not yeah it's because what else is he going to do? And, right. then, and then you have Jabberjaw, who Jabberjaw, is in, he shows up more often. 
and he is clearly there to promote the Jabberjaw cartoon and that Jabberjaw brand yes. for some reason. Because <laughs> yeah. he's not there for any other reason. No. <laughs> and they didn't even enter him in the swimming events. <laughs> you know, you've got a great white shark on your team. I guess, and of course, he only shows up at the water events. You know, he's a he's a a shark who walks around on the land and plays in a band, but he's only there for the water events. Well, and it's funny he he shows up in the fishing event when the <laughs> um, the really rottens accidentally catch him. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get to Daisy May's pro- Daisy Mayhem's prowess as a as a competitor later, but that would be one of them where she yeah she did catch him at one point until he decided to eat the net that she caught him in, right. <laughs> But uh, and then yeah, mentioning Daisy Mayhem, the only other characters who who do show up then is her parents show up, uh, Mumbly's mother shows up for a uh, interview, and then also Orful Octopus's parents show up in their own episode. So, so that kind of covers everybody who appears. And then I did want to add one more thing. So Laugh Olympics obviously ended seventy eight seventy nine. The name reappeared in twenty twelve briefly as part of a direct DVD video that was called scooby-doo laugh olympics spooky games and so that re- that was released to coincide with the london olympics and it was essentially a standalone scooby-doo episode but the dvd actually that they 12 episodes of the laugh olympics so they kind of got back out there into the into the uh, into the market in a roundabout way yeah take advantage of all the hype around the olympics and let's put this back out there yeah which parents understood and the kids are like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's probably a little jarring because the cartoon has nothing to do with the, the, the laugh Olympics. It's actually just you know, a regular Scooby-Doo adventure. Right. They, I think a, a statue comes to life at the Olympic games and is trying to stop a guy from breaking pole vault record. Oh, sure. How else would you do it? Then, you know, dress up as a giant statue. And, uh, <laughs> and then, then there's 12 of these, episodes that were created you know 30 years prior that have yeah. nothing to do with it so and characters like a lot of kids wouldn't recognize exactly yeah so all new to them so fun yeah absolutely yeah so robert and talk about some of the events they had there were 93 total events through two seasons mostly based on olympic sports a lot of races and some fun scavenger hunts like put the bell on the Yeti when they're in the Himalayas. But most of the events were races. About 60% of the events were races. And 35 of those races involved some sort of motorized conveyance, whether it was a race car, a motorboat, swamp boat, an airplane. Um, they even had a hot air balloon. A rickshaw. You call that motorized. Yeah, rickshaw races, dog sleds, uh, handsome cab, chariot races. <laughs> So yeah, a lot of races and then a lot of events that were designed for a certain type of animal to compete in, whether it was a dog in the dog sledding or bronco busting. Uh, They did a fox hunt, um, handsome cab, you know, pulled by a horse, chariots pulled by horses. So I always thought it was interesting, you know, especially when they're doing the bronco busting, you've got Quick Draw McGraw standing there going, wait, what are they doing? (laughs) They're riding... (laughs) horse you know it's just i just put myself in in that character going okay i'm a horse and they're over there basically beating another horse into submission and i'm okay with this well and i think there's at one point he uh he rides a seahorse and says well i'm gonna stick to to riding horses on land 
Like, well, yeah, <laughs> but you are a horse. Why would you need to ride one? <laughs> yeah. So just stuff like that, you know, the, the a lot of the characters are dogs, you know, Scooby-Doo and um, Muttley and um, they're going to have a dog sled race. So they don't choose the dogs to pull the dog sleds. They choose other animal characters to pull the dog sleds and the fox hunt. I, I was surprised um, when I saw the fox hunt thing go down because, you know, it's a pariah nowadays. You, you can't hunt fox like that. It's the poor animal, you know, it's outnumbered and it's unfair. And plus you've got a wolf, which is a, a near cousin to the fox commentating on the whole thing. <laughs> but luckily the fox outsmarts everyone. And in that episode, none of the teams get points. They award all the points to the fox because the fox had tricked all of the teams to climb up a tree. So the fox had won that round. You know, one of my favorite episodes was when they went to England. You know, I talked about earlier, they used the local culture in a lot of these. So the events in England were they had a climbing event, but it was climbing to the top of Big Ben. And so they, the yogis entered Quick Draw McGraw, who was a horse. Um, the Shaggy, or Scoobies entered Shaggy. And the Rottens entered Dinky Dalton. So I'm looking at the three of these thinking Shaggy looks like a mountain climber, right? He's got the goatee, lives in a van, you know, he's probably out in the mountains a lot. He's lean, uh, he doesn't have the, uh, the excess. Yeah, he's lean, he's like the Alex Honnold of the group, right? So I'm thinking he's going to, you know, he's going to rock this climbing thing. And Dinky Dalton, who's this huge man, and then Quick Draw McGraw, who is a horse. And I haven't seen horses climb um, before. And actually, the Rottens won, won that. Um, Dinky Dalton was the first to the top. Um, Shaggy finished third. And Quick Draw McGraw squeezed in at second place. I was surprised that um, Shaggy didn't do better um, in that. Because when I started, I'm like, Shaggy's got this wrapped up. And he finishes dead last. Well, as, as, um, you, as you know, watching these, logic doesn't necessarily win out in almost any competition. No, which makes it fun to watch because yeah. you never know exactly. who's going to win. You, you think they're going to have this wrapped up, but uh, but it's it's not going to happen. I think one of my favorite events is when they're in Norway and they do the Viking longboat race. So it's the full the whole team, team each boat. And of course, you know, the logic is, well, the yogis have a giant gorilla. They can just, I mean, he can just paddle. But they keep right. talking like, well, and so he sits in the boat and it's like half of it's up in the air <laughs> and he's just sitting there. He's not doing anything as they're rowing. And then they say, like, well, let's uh, let's lift the uh, the sail and then just have him blow it. So he's blowing air, yeah. somehow moving the boat. The rottens thwart that. And so then he finally the thing that you think he should do right off the bat is put his hands in the water and start paddling the boat. Yeah, he does that and they win. Like, yeah. why, why don't you do that right at the beginning? Some questionable coaching throughout. It's the same with the, uh, the 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 dog sled race where Yaki Doodle actually they they hitch him to a sled and they put the forty foot tall gorilla in the, in the <laughs> sled and let this baby duckling try and pull him. <laughs> Again, you know, you when you've got the four hundred pound or four hundred foot gorilla on your team, you've got to make better use of that. <laughs> There's really not a reason that you should lose any time you use that gorilla, but. Yeah, and I think statistically he um, he ended up getting five five wins for them, which uh, just a solid him. contribution. Yeah, it tied him for the most in the yogis. The other being Yogi Bear, which as a team captain you expect him to pull his weight, and he does. So, although I think he, 
I think they underused Cindy Bear. I think they held Cindy back. 100% agree. The only legitimate athlete on that team. <laughs> Criminally underused. So yeah, she, yes. uh, what was my stat on that? Was she... Uh, four she wins, all- 10 episodes. Yeah, only in 10 episodes. She competes in four events and she wins all four. Won all four. Yeah. She's your ace. Yeah. Why isn't she even on the show? Why isn't she even traveling with them, let alone uh, competing ever, all the time? But yeah, you got to put Cindy in there. Yeah. When I watched these episodes and did some reading, did some research, that what I found interesting was, you know, what we've been talking about is there, there are events where clearly you have the right character that you're like, oh, you've got to put, you got to put Grape Ape in the tug of war because he's going to win. Right. But they don't always do that. Right. And even when they do do it, it doesn't go their way. But, you know, the really rottens seem to me that the really rottens always made the best coaching choice for competitor in that event. So, for example, in ping pong, Orful Octopus is there with eight paddles. You're not getting the ball past Orful Octopus in the ping pong table. But then they also, when they did the moose sled race, use the Dread Baron because he's slight. You know, he can, he can be pulled by a sled. But then instead of using a moose, they dress up the Daltons disguised as a moose. <laughs> so now you've got people dressed like a moose trying to pull another person. It just doesn't go well for them. The Yogi Yahooies, same thing. Good decision, bad decision. They enter Grape Ape into sumo wrestling. Hands down the winner. He didn't win. Because I know. The one time, one of the few times, and this is what we'll get to this, but the, the Rottens, when they cheat, they lose. When they don't cheat, they win. So they, right. they send, you know, their two short little Dalton brothers, you know, dirty and dastardly against this giant gorilla. They tickle him and they win. Right. <laughs> yeah. Without cheating. It's a brilliant strategy. And it, and it's, yeah. And you're looking at this like, well, the ape is going to win the sumo, right? Cause he's, he's the obvious choice and he doesn't. Yeah. Well, and if nothing else, you think you'd stick, you know, dinky Dalton against him. Who's probably who's not a big win, guy, but yeah. physically could the best chance. And no, they they have a better strategy. Yeah, but then they don't like to win without cheating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Scooby Doobies, their their decisions that stood out to me were entering Quick Draw McGraw in gymnastics, but she doesn't seem like the most graceful character. Um, and then in the air, antique airplane race, you've got the Blue Falcon, right? The Blue Falcon is a falcon. He's a superhero. He flies. Yeah. So who do they enter in the airplane race? Tinker and Speed Buggy. <laughs> so Speed Buggy. <laughs> yeah, Speed Buggy is a car. Let's load him up into the antique airplane. <laughs> See how that goes. Well, Tinker can drive a car. He could probably just drive a plane just as well, right? Well, he's got the goggles already, but you know, he doesn't go anywhere without that car. So well, and he drives a car that drives himself. So how good can he be? <laughs> That's true. He's a passenger <laughs> most times. He's like an onboard mechanic, is what he is. <laughs> Yeah, and then you've got the Blue Falcon who actually flies his own plane. Yes, but accomplished no. pilot. Yeah, we, we, uh, let's not put him there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, you know, we had our, our favorites, um, our favorite athletes, if we want to call them that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always impressed with Orphal Octopus's finesse. You know, he was the finesse guy in the ping pong and the tightrope and really graceful. Um, grape ape, you know, pulling the uh, Eiffel Tower down and capture the flag. Um, was actually surprisingly good at treasure hunt. Um, you, you know, you think he's got a monkey brain. He's this giant ape, but he's actually pretty deductive when it came to the treasure hunt. 
I liked Captain Caveman because he always came with the teenagers, right? So if you enter Captain Caveman, you're getting you're getting four athletes instead of just one. Yeah, and they actually, as long as the, I think there's only one time he won without the assistance from the teenagers. He, it's the batting competition where uh, he hits what? Well, of course, games. he carries a club. Yeah, <laughs> that's his natural natural fit there. But I think otherwise, he he got uh, he he claimed nine victories. And which was second most on their team, right? Second most behind the Blue Falcon, who had 10. And the Teen Angels were uh, assisted him in seven of them. Seven. Yeah. So when they were teamed up with all together, they were successful. Yes. But when they weren't, it didn't go as well. Didn't (laughs) see all the importance of a team. Yeah. Yeah. For me, for the Scoobies, uh, it was Blue Falcon. he he had the most wins and he just kind of he seemed to handle the cheating from the rottens a little bit better than everybody else where he uh found ways to overcome or just like well those those dastardly villains will get them next time you just kind of yeah. yeah whatever villain villains are gonna villain yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> well and maybe it's from his years as a superhero he's just used to this kind of behavior that's just an old hat dealing with villainy he's like what right <laughs> What do you do? I deal with villainy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now his uh so he he would be my Scooby choice. My yogis uh far and away, hands down. We mentioned Cindy Bear already, uh criminally right. underused, clearly the uh the best player on that team. Absolutely. And then for Rottens, actually I had I had trouble picking between uh Daisy Mayhem and Dinky Dalton. When they weren't cheating, they actually were really good. Mm-hmm. And then when they were cheating, they tended to be more successful with their cheating attempts than everybody else. They played, they played a, a strong role in the cheating as well. Yeah, so they they uh, had a hand in almost everything, and yeah, board tended to be pretty good about it. I think yeah, they each had uh, Daisy Mayhem had four wins, and the Daltons had four wins. I, I kind of put all the Daltons together, but uh, yeah, Dinky, because Dinky pretty much whatever he did, his brothers were involved in some way or another, and vice versa. So. Well, what about um, your least valuable players? Oh, yes, least valuable. Well, you'll notice one of the names we haven't mentioned at all is Hong Kong Fui. What did he right. do? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, uh, he, he only competed a, a, a couple when of they, times. I think yeah. it's when they were in China. Was he in any other ones? He, uh, yeah, he was in one more, and I it's escaping me which one he was, but he didn't win. And uh, you'd think he's, you know karate he's got the you know he's, he's an athlete yeah, superhero-ish good movements he's you know able to to handle his handle himself well not so much no no he was a pitcher right he was the chinese pitcher in the batting contest yeah yeah and he had that and, funky wind up and he was in, he was in one of the races too uh in the i believe it was early in the second season and it didn't it didn't end well but yeah so he he would have been my least valuable for the yogis, the yogis are tough because they've they're saddled with a bunch of mice and cats who really didn't do a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. And of the of the useless mice and cats, uh, I thought Blabbermouse is probably the worst. He uh, he really didn't compete much. He actually only had two lines in the entire series. So he did. Not only did he not compete, he didn't say anything. He didn't even talk. Yeah. So well, what's he going to do? He's a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> It's clearly at a disadvantage. <laughs> yeah, and he actually he was involved with one victory that that was with his partner Snooper from the Snooper and Blabber show. Mm-hmm. Snooper actually competed separately from Blabber. Blabber never competed without Snooper around him. So, again, kind of bringing down his partner. Yeah, 
but and then uh the creepleys uh this was an easy one mrs creepley uh, i should say for the, the rottens mrs creepley was by far the, the least valuable uh she sucked at everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah and she kind of had this air about her like yeah i'm just here for the paycheck <laughs> she didn't really seem interested in competing she did kind of enjoy cheating but she was terrible at it like those but are the yeah, ones she- those are the ones where they she'd be involved in the cheating and they wouldn't even it wouldn't affect anybody else it would just screw themselves over <laughs> but she was having a good time yeah. <laughs> she's like oh i, I get to did. do something rotten okay i think she pulled a prank on uh, mildew wolf one time and that was the only thing that worked <laughs> so uh she had the long black tight dress you know i mean how is she going to compete in that outfit yeah well and you know uh, think looking at the stats she she never got a victory junior creepy also never had a victory and then suey pig had no victory but you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna penalize the pit the handicapped pig right he's, <laughs> he's playing at a disadvantage <laughs> and he yeah he's he's already uh he's already struggling from the get-go and, and then the junior was just you know i mean everything junior did was stuck with mrs creepless so he was you know he's carrying an anchor around his neck anyway so. <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> you know the rottens were funny because they when they won and they did their cheating failed but they still won they were upset that their cheating ways failed them so they didn't celebrate victory they were angry that their cheating ways didn't work i think um, one of my favorite moments in this whole series is the point where they get caught cheating and daisy mayhem goes off she she grabs a microphone and she's like, yeah she Next time we're going to come back and we're going to cheat even harder. <laughs> she kind of pulls the Kanye West thing, and grabs the microphone from Taylor Swift. <laughs> says, we're going to cheat harder next time. You guys are in trouble. <laughs> and the Rottens were great because like their prowess at cheating knew no bounds. Mm-hmm. You know, when they did the uh, Scotland episode, they had a three-legged kilt race. The Rottens were awarded negative 75 points in that event because they devised a treadmill that would they would run along the treadmill and go faster than everybody. They also forged a rule book to pass the use of the treadmill as a valid strategy. And then they falsified the finish line to fool the other teams into thinking the race was already over. <laughs> so they had a three-tier approach to winning that race and they got 75 points taken away. <laughs> Yeah, and you can say that uh, Snagglepuss and Mildew Wolf were not impartial color and com- color commentators either. They uh, every time no, every all. time there was cheating, they were the ones who called it out. So. <laughs> yeah. And we never see the judges, right? They always talk about the officials or the judges, and and you never see them, right? Yeah, they're so they they're just this mystery people you never see. You don't know how the scoring works, but who cares? Because it's all funny and it all makes sense at the yeah. end of the day. Exactly. Uh, the Rotten's got a double zero score once. So zero wasn't bad enough. They gave him two zeros. <laughs> but what I love, yeah, what I I love is that the Rotten's, I mean, the Rotten's actually win. They get two victories yeah. out of this. So, I mean, this is this was not a, a close competition overall, if you're looking at the numbers. I mean, the Scoobies won 14 of the 24 Laugh Olympic days. So, I mean, they, yeah. they win 14 golds. The, the Yogis get half of that with seven. And then the Rottens actually pulled off two, which is, it was really cool. Cause you know, you know, and it's not until near the end of the second season. So you don't expect it. Yeah. And, and the, the surprise from Snagglepuss is like, they actually won. 
And there was one tie. The series ended on a three-way tie. Yeah. On the moon. On the moon, which was great. <laughs> I mean, cartoon physics aside, being on the moon was awesome. <laughs> yeah, between the moon and Atlantis, they pretty much covered everything. Yeah, from the depths of the ocean all the way to the last frontier, you know. <laughs> of course, none of this entertainment would be possible without the actors, writers, artists of, of this show and everyone who brought these characters to life, which is always really, really cool when you think about types of people and the talent it takes to pull off something like this. There were 45 characters, so this is a big cast. Uh, there were 16 voice actors doing all of these characters. Of course, there are some names that everyone will recognize. Mel Blanc, uh, Casey Kasem, Scatman Carruthers. Um, most people recognize uh, Mel Blanc from Warner Brothers. You know, he's Bugs Bunny, mm -hmm. right? But he shows up in this and he's, he does quite a few characters. Um, Captain Caveman, Speed Buggy. He's Barney Rubble. Casey Kasem is Shaggy. Everyone knows that. Which one I learned that when I was a kid, when I learned that the dude from American Top 40 on the radio was also Shaggy. I could never, for the rest of my life, and even today, hear Casey Kasem on the radio and not picture Shaggy in my head. Well, and it's funny, because as soon as you know that he did like cartoon characters, you can't miss him when you actually, for the other characters that he does. Well, you hear him everywhere. Yeah, when he's Robin from Batman and Robin. I mean, yep. yeah, as soon as you yeah. know, like, oh, it's Casey Kasem. Yeah. It's like when you buy a new car, you know, you buy a red truck and all of a sudden you're seeing all the red trucks. Right. Like, Geez, everyone has a red truck. Then when you when you learn that, oh, that's Casey Kasem's voice. Now you hear him everywhere. He didn't change his voice up much either because his shaggy voice sounds the same as when he, he does the voice of Alexander in uh, Josie and the Pussycats. It's the same voice. It it's, is. It's identical. So, yeah. But he's Casey Kasem. Yeah. Yeah. So he can get away with it. You know, there are other... You know, so those are the names of people we most people will recognize, even if you're not into cartoons, Mel Blanc, Casey Kasem, Scatman Crothers. But the people you don't know who really did a lot of voices were Frank Welker and Don Messick. And Robert, I know you know more about these guys than I do, um, but I was amazed when I learned how many different characters those two had. Well, yeah, and never... Um... If you want to go down a rabbit hole, go into IMDb and, and look up Frank Welker. There's like 600 plus different animated shows and movies attached to him. He's most probably recognizable as, as the voice of Fred, the original voice and only voice ever of uh, Fred from the Scooby-Doo show. Uh, and Don Messick was the original voice of Scooby-Doo. Mm -hmm. So yep. they both worked together. And actually, Messick ended up being a, a bit of a mentor to, to Frank Welker. So when Messick passed away, um, after a few years, Frank Welker actually took over as, as, as still the current voice of, of Scooby-Doo. So... Yeah, I mean, there were staples of the that later uh, Hanna-Barbera an animation. Frank Welker's everywhere. You, you, can't, you yeah. can't watch anything animated. He's pretty much attached to it. But Well, yeah. in Laugh Olympics, so he was Dino Mutt, Tinker, Jabberjaw, Yaki Doodle, Magic Rabbit, and Suey the Pig. So he was five characters just in this show. Um, yeah. Don Messick, same, you know, Scooby-Doo, Mumbly, Pixie, Dirty Dalton, Mr. Creepley, Junior Creepley, and Boo Boo Bear. Yeah, I mean, just a wealth of talent between those two alone. But um, yeah, and then you add in that Dawes Butler and his involvement. Oh, my. He had 10 characters in this show. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. I mean, and he was, uh, Dawes Butler goes back into the 1940s working with MGM. 
And then once Hanna-Barbera, the MGM studio closed down, Hanna-Barbera started their own studio. He went with them and he voiced pretty much anybody you can think of those most of those characters. He, he did the voice of those. Um, had a falling out at one point with Hanna-Barbera left and Don Messick, Don Messick actually took over almost all those voices. All of his voices. Until they patched things up. He came back and stepped right back in and was suddenly doing like he had never left. So, yeah. That's an incredible talent. It, it always surprises me, you know, that they can do all these different characters and sound, you know, you know, you know to the learned person, you can hear them kind of, you get, get it, but there's the characters sometimes are so different from each other. It's like, how are they pulling that off? And then to imitate someone else doing that character and doing it flawlessly. It, it's amazing. Um, yeah. You know, one one case in point is with Alan Reed. You know, Alan Reed was Fred Flintstone on the Flintstones show from 1960 to 1966. And when Fred Flintstone showed up on uh, Laugh Olympics in 1977, he did Fred Flintstone, Alan Reed, but he only did one episode because then he passed away. Um, and then Henry Corden took over and became Fred Flintstone for the next three episodes that Fred was in Laugh Olympics and then Fred Flintstone going forward. Um, and it's really hard to tell which one is which. This, that's, this is one of the, the exciting things of working on this show is seeing, you know, kind of getting to recognize a lot of these voices and, and kind of dig into the, the talent between behind all these act, the, the voice actors, because there is a wealth of, there's a wealth of talent in here. And, and one I'll throw out there too is the, the Gary Owens as, as Blue Falcon, which you may not know his name, but you hear his voice and you know, oh yeah, I've heard that voice so many different times. And yeah, it's the quintessential superhero voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that, that struck me and that I really actually, I just appreciated it watching this is the, this is the kind of the geek in me, but um, looking at you know those original Hanna-Barbera cartoons, those, those 50s and 60s cartoons, and that original Hanna-Barbera style, which is very distinct. Like all the animals are kind of, they're kind of pudgy and just, you know, very uh, kind of similar in their look, but very cartoony. Mm -hmm. Same with the, the people are very cartoony, long noses and, you know, and then you get to the late, but I think it was about 66, 67, they started changing their style to more of a comic book, slightly realistic look when you, so you look at the, the Blue Falcon, who's very, you know, superhero and more Very humanoid more 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 proportionate human and yeah gooby-doo characters they just the, that look changes and to be able in, to take those two distinct styles and of course with the rottens they kind of mash them all together in in different ways so all the, those two distinctly different styles just they work together i mean it's not it's not jarring it's like well that one looks so it, it just somehow all still works together on the same screen it's it's really cool it's really cool how they did it what we haven't talked about is kind of the nod they give to ABC's Wide World of Sports, where the hosts, Snagglepuss and Mildew Wolf, are wearing the yellow Howard Cosell blazers yeah. throughout, you know. And as a kid, you don't know it, but I'm sure that to my parents recognized, oh, that's Howard Cosell's Wide World of Sports jacket, <laughs> um, which was great. Which would have been even funnier had they had a character who was kind of like Howard Cosell on this thing. It would have been a riot. It may have worked a little bit better than Mildew Wolf did, actually. Yeah, he was a little, it was, it was a very interesting combo, him and Snagglepuss. Yeah, it didn't really work for me. That That's maybe the, one of the weak points to me. I, it, yeah, I think they missed an opportunity there to have, this is Howard Cosell, you know. <laughs> that would have been great. 
or at least then you'd have to bring in muhammad ali somehow but i i I get the thought behind it he's got a very distinctive voice kind of like you know like a howard cosell like that kind of yeah but that the paul lind voice is very distinct and very unique yeah but it didn't quite click for me one of the few things that didn't work for me in this show actually yeah i i really enjoy the left olympics series It, it brought back a lot of memories I'm doing the research for this and watching a lot of the episodes, you know, now it has that patina of age on it, Mm -hmm. um, which makes it even more fun. It's looking at the the animation and noticing things now as an adult that I didn't see when I was a kid, you know, of all the cultural references, which a lot of that you can't do today, Mm -hmm. you know, um, for good reason. Right. Well, and let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the good, the bad and the ugly. So for you, John, what were the, what were the things that stood out for you that was just really made it, made it good? Um, for me, what made it good, you know, we talked about it earlier, is that bringing all the characters from all these different shows and all these different environments and different spaces together, and they're all hanging out with each other like this is not a big deal for them. They're always together, and they're just these, they're these characters, these people, that, that's their job. They do this show over here, but now they're, they're competing against each other, but they maintain character on this so i loved that that it brought all those those environments and those characters together in one piece um that that was my favorite part of it for sure no I, I, I totally agree with that 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 was like it's such a a cool concept and i thought they pulled it off really well that way and and, and that ties partly to what i had just said previously too about the animation styles distinctly different but still working really well finding a way to make it all work together very smoothly i just I'd really love that. Yeah, those are good. How about the bad? What 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 did you see that we kind of ping them for the the negatives that kind of made it less um, stellar? Yeah, so the bad to me are all of the you know cultural stereotypes that they they trample on. Um, you know, just the fact of having a character named Hong Kong Fui, um, probably not a good idea um, nowadays. And the you know the stereotypes that are perpetuated in some of the episodes are a little cringeworthy today i went in you know knowing that they're going to all these different locations and i was bracing myself for some of the worst i'm thinking oh this could get bad mm-hmm. in a hurry and and i thought and, and part of it's because they 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 went to a location but they didn't for the most part it, they they tried a pretty fine line of not yeah. Not, I mean, they weren't bringing, they weren't showing people from, you know, they go to Morocco and there's people from Morocco walking around as much. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, they were there and they would, they would take maybe some of the, you know, suddenly they're dumping a bunch of couscous on the couscous on the ground and things like that. But yeah, um, I was surprised at how not awful that was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I see your point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there was a lot of opportunity for that and they didn't. Yeah, it could have gone. Jump it could on. have gone ugly very quickly, but yeah, they, yeah. They, for the most part, avoided that. So yes, for me, the bad was really it's and it is kind of a victim of the just that Hanna Barbera animation style, which is I mean they were at that point they were cranking out you know like I said so many cartoons on a Saturday for Saturday mornings. They had um, and it's one of the criticisms of the studio was that they just had that uh, basically assembly line format, so they would just. A writer would touch it and then this person would touch it and they would just like send it down the line. So and you see that throughout where, I mean, that they would reuse backgrounds. They would do kind of shortcuts to kind of keep things moving and, and crank them out. And 
Actually, this one doesn't have too many. I know we're going to stumble across a lot of them in other mm -hmm. ones, but in this one, the most glaring one is in the intro. So they uh, they introduce the yes. teams and there's yeah the segment where they're showing the Scoobies and Yogis doing the tug of war. And the Creepleys come out of the mud pit in between them and they cut the rope and you see the entire Creepley team and Daisy Mayhem's right there. And for the last maybe, I don't know, maybe four frames, she goes from black hair to blonde hair yes and, like, and this is your title sequence and you couldn't get right. it right <laughs> you would think after the first couple someone would say hey you know maybe we should check that and just, just replace that little bit but well and, and i watched that there. and like the first time i saw it and i, I noticed it and like wait did they put did they put uh taffy on that team for some reason but like no it was so, daisy mayhem they just in that cell they just changed the color and didn't they never changed it out so for 24 episodes <laughs> that mistake is right up front yeah good enough we're just going with it <laughs> should we change it no forget about it nobody will notice <laughs> yeah you know for me the the ugly were you know not that i expected a strong plot line throughout but there really is just no plot line at all it was just they're they're gonna do these crazy competitions we might introduce the competition we might not there may be rules, there may not. We're just gonna let see what happens. So the the format was there, but it didn't always follow uh, for me. So yeah, I think yeah, know, for the the ugly MR part was actually the 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 amount of cheating that they they relied on for the. I mean, you think of the Olympics. The Olympics work really well when everybody's working really hard and competing, and you know the the just being able to win over everybody over the competition is like the thrill of it and this one it's right. it, it almost at time at times i mean some of the ways they try to do it was actually really clever and entertaining but a over 24 episodes and you know at least four events per uh per episode that's a lot that's a lot of cheating and it's <laughs> a lot of cheating well and it wasn't always the really rotten doing the cheating either that's right you know, sometimes the yogis would bend the rules, let's mm -hmm. say. Um, so, yeah, I, I was surprised by that that would happen, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, that was um, actually a pleasant way. Like, if you're going to do it, it's not just the the bad guys. Yeah. Everybody cheats. The bad guys doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, those are good, bad and ugly. Is uh, any uh, any final thoughts on on the Laugh Olympics? Yeah, I I really enjoyed the Laugh Olympics. Uh, you know, for the reasons we talked about, it's just, it's kind of like a kid in a toy store where there's all the toys are there, right? All the characters are here. Um, and even if they're not doing anything, you got to see them um, in the background or just as a part of the team. And it was interesting to see that character put into other situations, like imagining how they would react. You know, there's that parasocial interaction where you've watched enough Scooby-Doo that you know how Shaggy should respond to this type of situation and and they nail it you know he responds the way shaggy is supposed to respond mm -hmm. um you know and that's true for with some exceptions the all the characters uh responded the way you expected them to respond in certain situations so um i really enjoy it this is one of my favorites and out of a out of a out of a 10 of rank a ranking of 10 what would you where would you put it um i put it at this is our first episode, so I don't want to set the bar too high, but I'm going to go with like an eight just because they pulled it off. 
-hmm. you know, bringing all these different shows and different types of shows and different styles and bringing it all together. I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you really touched on kind of what what appealed to me about the show is that as when you're a kid and you're playing with your toys, you've got, you know, superheroes. And then you've got, in my case, I had G.I. Joe's and Transformers and they played together. I mean, I would play with them together. They didn't just like, well, they only G.I. Joe's just play with G.I. Joe's and you know, yeah, never will they cross. It, it was they would do things and I would actually do, I mean, pretend like they're playing a football game against each other and this and that. So, yeah. I mean, this is, this is like my childhood on a screen, but with yes. the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And, and that was just, it was so cool. It's the whole that. toy box. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and it, and it's, I think it's still, it still works for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I thought it, it just that appeal. And I thought, like you said, they pulled it off and right. it, it's entertaining and it's funny. And I can, um, speak for my six-year-old daughter who was thoroughly and thoroughly enjoyed it and not only that she was fully invested cheering on the scooby-doobies at every turn so she, oh, awesome <laughs> she's like her father she's like overly obsessed with scooby-doo so yeah. yeah just uh so having that six-year-old to be able to kind of to watch it myself and then watch it with her and seeing the way she reacted to it like oh that's just awesome it just yeah it worked for her so you get to live it all over again yeah so i'm actually i'm right on the same same page as you i was i'm sitting at an eight um, I just thought, yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. You know, you know, there obviously has dings, but everything put together, especially given that that time frame and what they're going for, that was amb- it's a pretty ambitious project, and they it worked. It worked, yeah, and it still works. Yeah, you know, it would be interesting if there was a, um, you know, if if a studio were to take this up again with with modern characters and see see what they, if see if they could pull it off as well. Or is every character so much in its own space that it that it wouldn't really work? You know, the styles are too different now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, I'm glad we agree because I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, that was this is a this is a good starting point. Absolutely. Yeah, good one to start with, and more fun to come, right? Absolutely, we're just getting started. Well, John, I hear the final strains of the Laugh Olympics music kind of fluttering in my ear so that means the laugh olympics has come to a close and so does this episode of tune talk and more fun to come next time we are going to be talking about some characters that started as cartoon shorts actually oscar nominated and oscar winning cartoon shorts uh, that i remember seeing at the drive-in yeah so that means uh we are turning back the clock to 1965 And we're going to see the debut of MGM's Tom and Jerry on television. And hold on, because there's going to be a fair amount of ugly to dig through when we get into the cat and mouse. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into there, for sure. (laughs) Well, I hear, Mom, I think it's time for for us to go outside. So that means cartoon time is over. I'm John. I'm Robert. And this is Toon Talk. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want more Toon Talk, you can find us on Twitter at Toon Talk Guys. Or if you've got questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at toontalkguys at gmail.com.